Hello and welcome. You're listening to the It's All in the Cards podcast, a horror fiction podcast where all questions are welcome, but you may not like the answers. Some material may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We walk over the threshold, and I am hit with an odor so foul it stops me in my tracks. Never have I ever smelled sickness and filth like this in my aunt's house. It makes me think twice about going to see her. The last I saw her, she only seemed fatigued with the cancer, but that was several months ago, and if she hasn't been doing anything the oncologist told her, I can imagine how much it's spread. Oh, wow. That's... that's a... an interesting smell. Don't judge her on what you see now. Just take in the putrid stench as an extension of the sickness we have to expel from her. Beatty Jean Albright does not tolerate this much filth in her house, so something must really be wrong. I say that, but still can't move my body forward. Yes, I've seen death. Hell, I've caused death. But I've never seen any of my family in a tortured state of physical debilitation. With mom, she was just gone. She walked out of the store one night and didn't come back. With my grandmas and grandpas, old age or a slower, less debilitating illness took them. So my child mind didn't see them as anything other than old. But the woman who helped raise me after mom died, the woman who has had the only signs of aging as her hair growing pale and just a few wrinkles around her eyes and smile, I'm not sure I'm ready to face it. Jade? I finally force myself forward before the others judge me any more than they already did. I don't want their pity. I just need their help. Remember, it's up to you to convince her. Sam nods and the group follows me to Aunt Beatty's room. The stench of the house follows as far as her bedroom door. I grasp the doorknob and take a deep breath before opening. God and goddess, let me save her. Sword on the Cards Podcast, Episode 7, The Kids Are All Wrong. I push the door open slowly, afraid to stir her, but also still afraid to see her. Finally, it swings wide enough, I see her lying on the bed. Multiple blankets are thrown over her, only her white, wild curls visible through all the layers, though I know somewhere under that hair, her nose would still be out from beneath the blankets. Neither one of us likes tucking our head beneath the blanket. Too easy to suffocate that way. Aunt Beatty? For a split second, I think we're too late. But then the blankets stir as she lifts her head to see who has come. She sees it's me, but the rest of the group is hidden by the door. She settles her head back down as if to ignore me. You finally come to see me off then, Jade. Oh, don't be dramatic. I wouldn't let you slip so easily off into eternity. No. We're here to help. We? I push the door open the rest of the way and step into the room. The group enters behind me. Aunt Beatty sits up, but the blankets don't follow her. Her curls fall across both shoulders and hide most of her upper body, but I can see she's still in her nightgown. I bet she hasn't changed clothes in a few days. And she's lost weight. She's always been tall and thin, but now, it's like there's no muscle beneath that pale skin. Aunt Beatty watches as the rest file in, not amused. You know I don't like strangers in my house, Jade. Think of them as my sisters, or nieces if you will. Huh. 
That's what we should start calling all the neophytes. Nieces. And Beatty stares hard at Maureen and Roz. And what are they doing here? Everyone has come to help you get over the sickness. Uncle Dale tells me you won't let him lay hands and you won't go to the doctor. If the good Lord decides for a cough to take me before the cancer, then I will not go against his plan. The good Lord also says our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and that we should treat it as such. I've never seen you let your house get to this point. My house? So, Dale lied. He said he's been cleaning up for me. I thought I smelled it, but he said it was just a dead possum outside the window he hadn't moved yet. That stops me. How long has it been since you left this room, Aunt Beatty? She frowns, realizing what she said. I'm fine. If you believe a word that comes out of Dale Albright's mouth, I'd say you're not fine at all. Well, it's my business if... <coughs> I rush to Aunt Beatty's side as it sounds like she's coughing up a lung. I grab the glass of water on her bedside table and hand it to her. She finally catches her breath long enough to sip. I lay the back of my hand on her forehead. She's burning up. Listen, I'm either hauling you to the doctor or you're going to let us lay hands. She scowls as she takes another sip. You lay hands? <laughs> now that's a sight I didn't think I'd live to see. <laughs> well, not lay hands the way you would, but we'd at least knock the pneumonia out of your lungs, or whatever it is that's gone undiagnosed and untreated. I didn't take the radiation therapy the doctor wanted. What makes you think I'll take any other treatment? Well, if you won't take treatment, then you'll take our healing. I won't do no such thing. God's plan- Oh, get off that righteous high horse, Beatty Jean Albright. You know not a soul on earth knows what the God's plan is for any of us. The three girls step closer to the bed. Please, Miss Beatty, let us help you. There's no reason for you to go out like this. Not when we could help. She's right, your work isn't done here yet. I don't know any of the gods' plans, but I do know you're still needed here. You three think you can help me? Don't underestimate the nieces, Aunt Beatty. You ought to know better than anyone. Aunt Beatty tidies her blankets as she hunkers further down back into her sleeping position. If you do this, you don't do it by calling upon your false god. Oh, for the love of- Roz raises a hand in front of me. We can do that, Beatty. If your brother is willing. Beatty nods. <sighs> Get Dale in here. Before I can move a muscle, the three neophytes take off back to the front porch and fetch Dale. He's slow to move, but his boots step hard and loud across the wooden floors. The girls trail him into the bedroom, but once back in, they get as close to the bed as possible. They're ready to do what needs done. Their excitement perfumes the air. Dale pats Aunt Beatty's foot. You finally ready to get some help? Aunt Beatty waves a hand in the girl's direction. You must teach these girls how to heal me. Uncle Dale's condescending smile falters around the edges. What do you mean? Jade said they all came to help. I assumed they all knew how. They know their heathen ways. They don't know the workings of our lord. Uncle Dale's eyes flick to the girls and then back to his sister. Beatty, I can't tell all the girls how to do it. I've already told Cora and Jade. Is your sister not worth the loss? What loss? Their type of healing and practice can only be passed down by the opposite sex and once you pass your knowledge on to four people you lose your ability to work it my poor uncle dale here is afraid he'll be demoted to snake handler no longer a healer for his church justice gives my uncle a thoughtful pitying look while sam and hannah give him a more judging look can he tell only one of us and those who do not already know can just lend their energy to those that do that can work dale that'll work for me Who's going to be the lucky girl to learn? 
Sam. She's the only one who I have authority over to okay learning another path like this. Agreed. Which one is Sam? I am. Uncle looks Sam over as she steps up to him. You're Jillian's girl, aren't you? Sam tenses at the mention of her mother. Yes, sir. You have her eyes. We don't have time for a walk down memory lane, Uncle Dale. He nods. Come with me. Sam follows Uncle Dale out of the house. Justice watches as they leave, but Hannah's eyes are on the floor. She rubs her thumb over her closed fist. Something's up with her. Out of the three of them, I didn't peg Hannah for having any self-control, but maybe she just needs a nudge to get going. Do you have something you'd like to say, Hannah? She nods and looks back and forth between Aunt Beattie and Maureen. I know we want to do whatever we can to help her, but why are we so easily swayed to forsake the mother? Why should we follow her Christian ways? First, we are not forsaking mother. Remember, the coven's roots were in the Christian-based mountain magic. Beattie was among that group, though they refused to be called a coven. Excuse me for not going against the Bible. Some of us were not tempted to follow a false god. No. Instead, you were labeled holy enough to save lives, but not Christian enough for your soul to be saved. Mm, I go to church every Sunday. I am welcome at the congregation. Now, yes. But they don't need your mountain medicine anymore. Only a few of the oldest families still hiding in the mountains need it. I need it. Finally, Rachel speaks up. She hasn't said a word this whole time, and I wondered how long it would take for her to finally butt in. She steps out of her place in the corner, wedged between the wall and the dresser, and stops at Aunt Beattie's side, easing onto the bed beside her. Rachel picks up her hand and kisses it. You watched Jade, Roz, and I plenty of times when we were growing up. You were the one who saved my dad from his liver cancer when he was just as stubborn as you're being now. Follow my goddess or Christ. I don't care. I still need you in my life. I know we've been distant because of all the fighting, but I think it's time we stopped and started appreciating each other again. I appreciate you, child, but my cancer is too advanced. I can't heal myself with my knowledge, and even if I could, I wouldn't. But that doesn't mean you should stop us from trying. I know the focus today is getting rid of the pneumonia, but you should let us try to heal you fully. If not for us or yourself, then for Cora and whatever grandchildren she gives you. God and goddess knows this one isn't making any headway on that front. <coughs> I've been, I've been at her for years to find someone to love and to have a family with. She's just as stubborn as the rest of us. <sighs> I'm standing right here. Uncle Dell's heavy boots and Sam's pitter-patter on the porch signal their return. I'm sure he only taught her what she needed for today, but there would be other days where she must return and finish gaining all of his knowledge, or else her ability to do what she's doing today will go away. Uncle Dale holds the door open for Sam as Sam carries in a poultice. I know what the poultice is made of, and the stench of it seems to just mingle with the stink of the house, but it will get rid of the pneumonia. Miss Beatty, you know what I need to do with this. Which is why I hadn't made one yet. <coughs> You can give it to me, child. I'll do the rest. Aunt Beattie snuggles further into her bed, but pushes the blankets down. Sam hands her the poultice, and she pulls out the front of her nightgown to make way and position the mass of mountain medicine onto her chest. Thank you, Sam. <sighs> we aren't done yet. We're just getting started. Sam wipes her hands on her clothes and moves to her friends, but then looks at me and Roz. 
How do we make me the focus? Lay your hands on Beady, and the rest of us will lay our hands on you, or the person in front of us touching you. We can transfer our energy that way. You just have to mutter the words and push it into her. Seems simple enough. Sam starts towards Aunt Beatty, but I raise a hand in front of her. Remember, you have to be careful and not pull energy from yourself or any of us. You have to use what is given and push it into her. You know what happens when you draw on too much energy. I know. I can do this. I don't remind her that I can also do this. One, Maureen and Roz can also do this, and they said nothing, which means they want her to try this. Two, part of me is afraid I won't have the power to do it anymore. I haven't passed the knowledge on, but I also know God didn't come to my aid last year to save that man from the deck of Eternals. I doubt he'll let me save my aunt if he won't help me to save a stranger. I know she can do this, but I still don't want anything bad to happen to her. I lower my arm and let Sam and the girls pass. Sam lays her hands gently on both sides of Aunt Beatty's head, running her fingers into her hair. Hannah and Justice stand on either side of Sam, hands on her shoulders. I scoot in between Hannah and the dresser to directly touch Sam. Rachel comes and lays a hand on my shoulder, patting me, reassuring me that everything will be okay. Maureen and Roz pick a girl and lay their hands on them as well. We are ready when you are, Sam. Whenever you're ready. But he was wounded for our Sam mutters the words needed to invoke that old mountain's spirituality. The magic that ran in the rivers, down the hollers, and into a modern valley that had no appreciation for its miracles. A mix of Christian faith in Jesus Christ with the craft of green magic and miracles. We lower our shields and raise our energy, pushing it forward through our bodies and hands to the person we're touching. There's not quite anything to see, but there's plenty to feel. Our collective energy electrifies the air. My hair stands on the back of my arms and neck. We give until we have no extra to give. We are all trained in not giving up our life essence. I just hope Hannah and Justice have the handle on it that they think they do. I peer down over Sam to see Aunt Beatty. Her face is fuller, the glow of life returning to her cheeks, though not back to full strength. I'd say the immediate sickness is gone, but there's no way to really tell about the rest of it. Not until she goes to the doctor for scans. We keep pouring what we have into her until we can't anymore. Sam's words seem to also conjure energy from the air around us. The wind blows outside the window, and the songs of birds take over the room. The mountain is waking. Too bad it's not the only thing that wakes. But one thing at a time. Maureen's the first to stop lending energy, then Roz, then myself. A few seconds after I stop, I wonder if the girls are about to kill themselves to save her, but they too stop. Sam finishes her last line of invocation before releasing Aunt Beatty. Aunt Beatty takes a deep breath in and holds it long enough to startle us all, but about the time I make a move, she releases it. No coughing, just a smile. Well, ladies, thank you very much. Now I have a house to clean. We stay long enough to help her tidy up her house. I agree with Roz and Maureen that cleaning would serve as a symbolic house cleansing to try to keep the sickness out. The girls are happy to help, while I feel like I'm 16 again doing chores for an overbearing aunt. But I'm happy we're able to help the old lady. It's still early evening by the time we finish and Beatty kicks us all out, but I'm exhausted. The combination of the laying of hands and deep cleaning the house has left me aching to my bones. So much so that I have to drag myself up the stairs to get home. I forego any kind of nighttime routine 
and fall into the couch, asleep in minutes. The next morning, I awake with a crick in my neck from the couch and a deep ache in my shoulders from wiping windows and sweeping floors. But I deal with it happily knowing that Aunt Beatty is better. Not healed, damn her, but I can handle better for now. I make my way downstairs and open the shop, greeting the morning usuals who are jonesing for their coffee. When Sam comes in after school, she looks as tired as I have felt all day. Deep circles under her eyes showing her exertion from yesterday. She heads straight for the coffee, making a fresh pot for herself. You look like you've been hit by a bus. Ugh, right back at ya. I turn away to hide my smile. I'm beginning to enjoy her sassiness, despite myself. I almost look forward to the afternoons when she gets to the shop. Sam's pouring herself a large cup of black coffee when the bells over the door announce that we are not alone. A tall man with curly hair stands at the doorway, his eyes wide, taking in the store before landing on me. Hi. I need help. Do you do tarot readings? I glance over at Sam, who shakes her head over the coffee. Clearly she is not in the mood to take on this case. Yes, I'm Jade. I own this shop. Do you need a reading? I think so. I need some help, that's for sure. I gesture for him to follow me to the reading room. What's your name? I'm Jordan. I really hope you can help me. I don't know what to do anymore. He passes through the vervain with no signs, so I don't think he's dangerous. Still, his wild eyes unnerve me. He is constantly looking around him, as if he expects someone or something to jump out of the corner and grab him. Why don't you tell me what's going on first? I sit down in my seat and pull out a deck of cards, setting them on the table between us. I want to hear what's bothering him before I start laying out the cards. Someone is following me. Who? Is it someone you recognize? Yes, but only because I keep seeing them. Them? So more than one person's following you? He nods, leaning forward to see through the doorway into the store. I try to reassure him by laying a hand over his on the table, but the contact makes him jump and pull back. No one else is in the store, and we will hear the bells if someone comes in. Why don't you tell me about these people that are following you? I... I don't think they're people. They look like people, at least at first, but then you get a real look at them, and there's no way that they are. What's wrong with how they look? Their eyes. Their eyes are all black. No iris, no whites, just black. I go still, and my heart races. I've heard of this. Can it be? Have I finally found someone who's seen them? How old are they? His eyes stop jumping around, and he focuses on me, understanding crossing his face. You know they're children. You know them. You know who I'm talking about. I shake my head. I've never heard a first-hand account of black-eyed kids before, but in all of the second- and third-hand tales, the kids only visit once and then leave the person alone if they're rejected. This is definitely unusual. No, I don't know them, but I've heard stories of black-eyed kids. So is it true? These children with the black eyes have been following you? He nods again, body still tense in his chair. Why don't you tell me about the first time you saw them? It was just after work a few weeks ago. I parked as far from my building as I could because I've been trying to make myself walk places a little more. So while everyone else left the office and got into their cars right away, I had a bit of a walk to mine. That's when they came up to me, just as I was taking my keys out of my pocket to unlock the car. They startled me at first because I didn't hear them walking behind me. I thought maybe they were just nervous about talking to a stranger though, you know? I turned to look at them, and it's these two blonde boys, probably around 8 and 12, standing right behind me with their heads down. 
the oldest one, he asked me if he could use my cell phone. He said they needed to call their parents to give them a message. That struck me as odd right away because he didn't say they needed to call to get a ride or anything like that. He said he needed to give their parents a message. When I hesitated, they took two steps towards me. And I don't mean that they just walked closer, I mean they took two synchronized steps closer. It was like they were attached at the joints, it was so simultaneous. Yes. They tried to ask again, and this time they looked up at me together. That's when I saw their eyes. The black holes that they were seeing out of, there's no way that's human. Just looking at them filled me with this dread. Like when you fall in a dream and you know there's no way you'll be able to save yourself. It's like I knew I was dead just as sure as I knew I was standing there. I yelled at them to go away, to leave me alone. I kept an eye on them as I unlocked my car and opened the door, only turning away when I absolutely had to to get in. By the time I slammed my door shut and locked it, they were at my window staring at me with those empty eyes. I peeled out of the parking lot, not caring if I accidentally hit them on my way. Did they follow you out of the parking lot? No, they just stood where they were. I thought it was a creepy one-off encounter, but then I saw them again. I look up at him and nod. I can imagine he wanted to pretend it was just a single incident. Nobody expects a supernatural to come back. Tell me about the next time. The second time was when I stopped at the bank a few days after they stopped me at work. I was waiting in the drive through line to deposit a check, and I heard a knock on my window. When I looked up, it was them again. The same two kids, with a third little girl who looked just like them. All three looked at me with their black eyes and smiled like they'd won some kind of game. Before they could say anything, I screamed and pulled out of the drive through I almost hit the car behind me when I backed up, but I had to get away from them. I pick up the deck and begin shuffling, thinking over his story. And was that the last time you saw them? He shook his head, and the spot on my side suddenly starts to itch. I press my elbow into it as I gesture with my other hand for him to go on. This last time was the final straw. They came to my house. My wife and I were in the kitchen cooking dinner when the doorbell rang. I was turning the stakes, so she went to answer the door. I didn't hear their voices, but I heard my wife tell them to hold on a second, and then she was back, telling me the door was for me, and asking if I had bought some popcorn from the Boy Scouts or something. My stomach sank, but I still went to see for myself. I don't know how they knew where I lived, but there they were, on my doorstep, as if someone had invited them. It was the two boys again this time, and as soon as I opened the door, they looked up at me with those black eyes and said they had to give me a message. They said I had to help them, that they needed me. They were smiling the whole time. What did you do? I told them to get off my property and shut the door in their faces. Then I took my wife and we went to a hotel. I couldn't stay in that house knowing that they knew where I was. I nod, keeping quiet about the fact that if they could find him at home, they could definitely find him at a hotel. That information wouldn't be helpful right now. Let's see if the cards can help us figure out what they want. Maybe it can make them go away. I flip over the first card on the deck, revealing the image of a young man with a sword. I give him a tight smile as I explain the card. The Page of Swords. This represents the kids themselves. A young person who deals in power, 
who likes to send messages and spread gossip. So they really do have a message? Is it for me? I don't know. It may be for you, or you may have been chosen to deliver the message. Turning over the next card, I hold back a cringe. There on the table is my own face, painted in the regalia of the High Priestess. Well, that confirms it. The message is not for you. How do you know that? I hold up the card next to my head, allowing him to see the similarities next to each other. Because this card is mine, the message must be as well. I thought all of these cards were yours. Yes, but tarot practitioners usually have a heart card, one that represents them. The High Priestess is mine, and she only shows up when something is clearly about me. So you're in the clear here. It looks like you've delivered your message. What? I haven't told you anything. Those kids didn't even tell me anything to pass along. They just said that they had to give their parents a message. Are you... are you a parent to these black-eyed kids? <laughs> Absolutely not. But black-eyed kids are said to be the children of the devil. And if they have a message for me, I already know what it is. Consider yourself freed from them. He looks at me skeptically. I understand. I wouldn't believe me either. You want proof? Here's the message. I turn over another card. And there, in all of their glory, are the lovers. Intertwined limbs and strategic foliage cover their naked bodies, and I fight the heat that comes to my cheeks. It's not embarrassment. It's rage. How dare he assume that I would come back to his partnership, that I would end my preferred isolation in order to return to his fold. Fuck the devil and everyone who works for him. I am so tired of his shit. See? The devil is just trying to woo me. I've received the message, so you're in the clear. I won't even charge you for a delivery. He moves to stand out, out of his chair, but settles down. What if they come back? Then I'll give you another reading for free, as it would mean I've clearly made a huge mistake. But they won't be back. I guide him out of the reading room and out of the store, avoiding Sam's watchful gaze from behind the counter. As soon as the door closes behind him, she speaks up. We need to talk about this. I don't turn to look at her. It's clear that she heard the reading, and very likely has some questions. But something tells me she doesn't mean just the reading, that she knows more than I want her to. Slowly, I turn the open sign to close. What do you want to know? This episode of It's All in the Cards podcast was written by Ashley McAnally and Morgan Falco. Theme music by The Arsonist and performed by Veronica Stonebreaker. Featuring the voice talents of Ashley McAnally, Nicole Doolin, Atticus Jackson, Nicole Goodnight, Brayden Wilson, Journey Brown-Santel, S.H. Cooper, Jessica McAvoy, and Fern May. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at It's All in the Cards Podcast or on Twitter at It's All in the Card. You should also check out our bonus content at our Patreon page, including the Patreon-exclusive spin-off series of The Deck of the Eternals. Part 2 out now. It's All in the Cards podcast is not suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised.